0: Hi everyone, welcome to HR Works, brought to you by BLR. I'm your host, Steve Bruce. HR Works provides clear, relevant, actionable information on topics that matter to HR professionals. When you're armed with best practices and strategies to attract, retain, and engage top talent and deliver exceptional value to your organization, HR works. These days, we accept distracted as the norm, says today's guest, Neen James. We are so focused on technology, our never-ending to-do list, and our lack of time, we fail to pay attention to the people, priorities, and passions that are truly important to us. But it's not a time management crisis, Neen says. It's an attention management crisis. Neen is a highly-rated keynote speaker and self-proclaimed sassy little Aussie. (laughs) Neen has authored three books, including Folding Time and the recently published Attention Pays. She's a regular contributor to industry publications and online forums, as well as a sought-after thought leader in productivity and attention. Her company provides high-energy keynotes and executive mentoring. Clients describe her as fun, real, energetic, and wicked smart. She describes herself as happily married, a self-proclaimed champagne taste tester, shoe-loving, and proud godmother of Maddie and Ava. Nien, welcome to HR Works.
1: Hey, what a treat to be on your show. I love what you guys are doing.
0: Oh, thank you. So let's talk about the attention management crisis. I think most people believe that they're paying attention, and yet you challenge that. Why? Because I think people
1: are so distracted now more than ever before, Steve. We think we're paying attention, meaning, you know, we sit in these meetings and we're often checking our email or we're on teleconferences with people and we're, you know, trying to finish our benefit statements or finish some proposals. We think we're paying attention, but we're not. What I want to challenge listeners to consider is attention is often giving your undivided attention to someone so that you're fully present in the conversation. I'd love it if we could start eliminating the distractions that are around us.
0: Great. So you um, you call some of this, I think, the multitasking myth
1: is that yes. Part of this picture? yes, it certainly is. And you know, we think that multitasking is the way to get things done, Steve. But you and I both know that often it gets to the end of the day and we think we've completed things, but sometimes there's drafts in our inbox, there's meetings we forgot to send the minutes to, there's, you know, team reviews that we forgot to submit. And what happens is when we multitask, we actually split our attention. So it's not that our attention span is decreasing like people may think, it's that we're splitting our attention. And as HR leaders, we want to consider how can we eliminate some of these distractions? How can we focus on completion rather than multitasking? There was a research study that I found that stated that every time our brain switches tasks, it can take our brain up to 23 minutes to be able to get focus again. That's crazy.
0: Yeah, 23 minutes, no kidding. So, <laughs> in your book, you talk about the over-trilogy. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that too many of us are overwhelmed, overstressed, and overtired. Yes. And I suspect many of our listeners uh, could identify with this. So what what's causing that?
1: You know, I think what it is, is if you consider things like the fact that we have never-ending meetings, we have constant email. The lines between work and home have blurred. And Steve, you know, I'm old enough to remember when you live before email. I know I sound like I'm five, but I really am significantly older than that. And for many of our listeners, they might remember when they could actually do their work and then go home. But now what's happening is because of technology and because we've allowed ourselves to become available Nine to five has become 24 seven. And I think this contributes. For example, often as leaders, we send an email to someone after hours because we're thinking about it. And the challenge is, especially if we're the boss or a person of significance in the organization, what happens is, people then feel like they need to respond. And the challenge with that is that we're not allowing people to have like a real break, a real time to re-energize. So the work lines and personal lines have blurred significantly. I want to challenge people to consider if you need to write an email to one of your team, you can write it. Just don't send it. Make sure that what we're doing is we're operating within more traditional business hours to allow people to avoid some of this overwhelm. Let's also look at things like the meetings we're scheduling. Do we really need to have them as long as they are, Steve? Or could we reduce them? Do we have to have them as frequently as we have them? Could we reduce them? There's so many ways we can avoid the overwhelm by looking very deliberately and strategically at how our day is structured to eliminate some of the distractions. I think that will definitely help people with the overwhelm.
0: I, I have a mug that says, I just finished a meeting that should have been an email.
1: <laughs> That's perfect. And so many listeners are cheering for you because they relate to exactly what you're saying.
0: <laughs> so, well, now here's the big question. Uh, attention Pays is the book. And let's see, uh, you know, how does attention pay? What, why does that help? And what, what should listeners do?
1: You know, I want the world to look at attention differently. Steve, I think attention as a word gets a bit of a bad rap. And, you know, we think it's kind of, uh, in a, in our social media selfie world, people are thinking, Oh, look at me. Look at me. And really what I want attention to be is a positive word. And that is to notice and to really think about how can we drive results to get attention to pay. We need to look at the benefits of attention. For example, in HR, we know that if we pay attention, we can attract and retain the top talent. We can create onboarding programs that make them want to stay with us. We have the ability to be a strategic advisor and a trusted team member to leadership to consult on strategy for people. We have the ability to look at talent gaps and manage succession plans to keep consistency in the business. I believe that when we pay attention, the businesses we operate in, our customers, our clients, our patients, our members, they all think of us and come top of mind. Therefore, as an organization, we make more money. As a leader, we are more accountable for the work that we're doing and we can hold our team to be more accountable. And I also believe ultimately, Steve, that if we are really paying attention, we're getting the right work done, we're being more productive, we're eliminating distractions, and ultimately that contributes to the bottom line. So I believe attention pays from a profitability point of view, an accountability point of view, but also a productivity point of view.
0: Well, nobody's going to argue with those outcomes.
1: I I I hope that's true.
0: Could you – Maybe give us a a little bit more specifically how it boosts productivity or increases profits and drives accountability.
1: Yeah, well, let's just use the meeting example that you use. Wouldn't it be great if people considered before they send an email out to everybody, is there a better way to do it? Could it be a video meeting so it could be shorter? People would look people in the eye and they're not as likely to be distracted and they pay attention to the agenda. Could we halve some of the meetings that we have right now so that we could have an agenda, get to the point, remove the small talk, and get business done? From a productivity point of view, I would encourage our listeners to consider maybe every day you have a strategic appointment with yourself. In that strategic appointment, just identify your top three not negotiable activities today Make it a 15-minute strategic appointment with yourself. So determine what's the three things you have to get done before your head hits the pillow tonight, what's your three things. The other benefit of that, I find, Steve, is then you have a decision filtering system for the day because I think what happens is we create amazing to-do lists. We just don't get things done on the to-do list. So this is an easy way to start to break time down in smaller increments. That's an easy way to get to be more productive.
0: So um, what about um, driving accountability that you mentioned? How's that happen?
1: One of the things that's really important to me when I serve clients around the world is often as a keynote speaker, I share strategies that people in the audience can apply. I believe that public accountability drives private accountability. Here's what I mean by that. If you tell someone you're going to do it, you're less likely to let them down. Say, for example, it's January, Steve, and we have a desire to get healthy and we decide to join the gym. And in January on the East coast where I live, it's cold. But if I know that I'm meeting a friend at the gym, there's no way I'm going to cancel, right? But if it's just me and it's cold outside, I might be a little more likely to roll over and hit the snooze button. You see, when we start to hold ourselves accountable, And we declare what we want to be held accountable for to other people. We are less likely to let them down. So what that does is being able to declare to your leader, to your team, to your board, what you want to be held accountable for. You're going to be more likely to use that to drive your daily behavior. One thing that people may want to think about listening on the call is maybe it's proactively communicating what you want to be held accountable for. Everyone listening probably has a performance review that's held every year. You might be responsible for doing calibrations for your company. Pull out the things that you're being held accountable for and make sure that every day you're moving closer to the achievement of those objectives, those KPIs, those key performance indicators that we all have. If you have them top of mind, you keep them in your line of sight, your attention will be directed to help you achieve them. If you share how you're progressing on those with your leaders, you're also going to be much more likely to achieve them. When you think about our attention, wherever you invest your attention, that's what's going to get you the results. So holding yourself accountable, declaring what you want to be held accountable to, and sharing that with the team will help make sure that you get things done.
0: That's very helpful. Do you have um, some specific examples of organizations that have uh, followed this advice and done well with it?
1: One of my media clients is a uh, one of the largest media companies in the world. And we worked with one of the teams in Seattle and the leadership team was finding that they weren't achieving the sales they needed. And they were having a bit of a challenge in onboarding new team members. So what we did with the executive leadership team was we challenged them to invest 15 minutes every day in their strategic appointment with themselves. The one that I mentioned earlier, As a result, what we decided too is that they would calendar that appointment and we would build an onboarding program. The great thing about this onboarding program was that it was designed as a 12-month onboarding program. The team helped design it. It was very creative. They got some of the top talent. And what was fascinating was this particular group became the highest performing team in the whole company. And they claim it was because they invested 15 minutes every day. They worked on their most important activities. They focused on onboarding the top talent. And what they said was that 15 minutes allowed them to not just get the work done, but to work on team development. They focused on succession planning. They made sure that they had allocated vacation time. People could be energized and take a real break. It was a wonderful case study in how you pay attention and what those ripple effects are, the bottom line to the business, and also the team morale and the culture that they created.
0: Attention pays. Yes, it does. So... We've been, uh, we've been talking about business. You also, though, say that your ideas will help readers in their personal lives. So how does the knowledge uh, in your book, Attention Pays, help people in their personal lives?
1: Steve, when we were researching the book through all the interviews I did with my CEOs, with my clients, with the audience conversations I had, and all the research that we engaged in, I just discovered that really we pay attention in three ways. Personally, it's about who we pay attention to. That's about being thoughtful. Professionally, it's about what we pay attention to. That's definitely about what is the most important activities we want to focus on. That's the being productive and globally, which is how we pay attention in the world. And that's about being responsible and being a contributor. So personally, professionally, and globally. Who deserves your attention? What deserves your attention? And how are you paying attention in the world? If we focus on the personal piece, Steve, it's about being thoughtful. This means in my world, it means I learned the best lesson from a five-year-old, I must tell you. And that is that my five-year-old friend and I were having this kind of debate about why he couldn't wear his Superman costume to school. As you do, you debate, right? And we were debating with this five-year-old, and we were trying to debate, like, who's cooler? Is it Superman or Batman? And I was simply just sitting there trying to have a cup of coffee with his mum, Eileen. Well, Donovan got so frustrated that I wasn't paying attention to him, Steve. He jumped into my lap, he grabbed my face, and he he turned it towards him with his tiny little hands, and he said, Neen, listen with your eyes. (sighs) The wisdom of a five year old, right? And I think personally. Imagine if we walked into our homes and we listened with our eyes. Imagine if we took the advice of the five-year-old, my little friend Donovan, and we put away our devices and we had real conversations when we entered our home. Johnson & Johnson is one of my clients and their CEO, Alex Gorsky has this fantastic philosophy. He's one of the examples I mention in my book, Attention Pays, because I think what Alex has done is really creating a great culture of intentional attention at work and home. What Alex does is he encourages all his leadership team that when they walk in their home, that they look their partner in the eye, their children, the people they share their lives with, and say, hey, let's connect. How was your day? What did you do? Alex encourages his team to not send emails at night so that people can have that time with people they care about. He encourages the team to avoid replying to emails on the weekends because he wants people to have a real break. Alex is encouraging work-life integration. And I think as leaders, we need to consider how can we be more thoughtful in our homes? How can we give people that attention? You see, we work often, Steve, to create a lifestyle for people we care about, right? Isn't that why so many of us work? And yet, unfortunately, it is our family, the people we care about the deepest that often get the leftovers. And as HR leaders, we are constantly serving other people. But when you're at work, somebody misses you. And so I want to encourage people when they go home tonight to think about who deserves your attention tonight and can you give them the gift of your undivided attention?
0: Oh, that's a wonderful uh, philosophy, a wonderful way of operating. It sounds like uh, you work with some enlightened uh, CEOs, too.
1: I do, but, you know, they're not all easy to work with, as I'm sure our listeners know in the positions that they have. But what they're really clear about is that when their team pays attention to what matters they make more money, they get higher results, they achieve the objectives. So, we have to think about how can we change the culture in our organizations? And it starts often with leadership and as HR, we're often consulting to leadership. And so, sometimes we have to have those tough conversations with them to say, here's some things we want you to role model, here's some things we want you to consider or communicate with your team. Because when the leadership pays attention to these details, it has a ripple effect
0: across the entire organization. Now, this is, uh, this is very helpful. Now, we've been talking so far about um, Attention Pays, your most recent book, but another one of your books has an intriguing title, Folding Time. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: I can. Folding Time is how do you achieve twice as much in half the amount of time? And I bet everyone listening to this is interested in that. Folding Time was a book that was created uh, many years ago when I realized people needed a resource when they didn't have time to read. So the book is filled with different ways that we can manage our time, attention, and energy. What I realized, Steve, in my discovery of that work is that we can't really manage time. Time's going to happen whether we like it or not. Time is the great equalizer. Time is not prejudiced. We can't manage time, but we can manage our attention. The book is filled with strategies of things you can do at work and at home to achieve more work-life integration, to have more productive meetings, to be able to handle all your communications, to handle email more effectively, and to personally take care of yourself. Folding Time was the book before attention pays. And I do believe that attention is the evolution of, of productivity. So the books work really lovely together.
0: Ah, well, thanks for that. So to sum this all up, um, any final recommendations for companies that want their employees less overwhelmed, overstressed, and overtired?
1: One of the things I would encourage leaders to consider is look at your communications. You had the a uh, benefit of hearing Stacy Hunky share on one of these great podcasts and i know she was a great guest on HR works she has a fantastic book called influence redefined and she talks about how we communicate i believe that our communications is a great way to get attention i would ask leaders to consider if you want to avoid the overwhelm the overstress and the overtired consider the frequency of your communications? Can you reduce the number of meetings and emails and requests you make of others and allow people to really focus on what most matters to them? Remember, we need to think about who deserves our attention, what deserves our attention, and how we pay attention in the world. When leaders do that, I believe they can reduce the over-trilogy.
0: Who, what, and how? You bet. So, Neen, uh... Thanks so much for joining us today and providing these very helpful insights. We appreciate it.
1: My privilege. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Well, you're welcome. Listeners, please let me know what HR Works should cover next. sbruce at blr.com. Thanks for listening. This is Steve Bruce for HR Works.